The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Morning. Hope you guys are off to a good day. I love the cooler weather. Everyone's talked about that because we love we love it. It feels more like uh, fall. It feels more like football weather. And man, just so close. Can we just say, like seriously, like seriously, ugh, so close. I wanted nothing more than to see Jim Harbaugh cry at the end of that game last night. So <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. If you have your Bibles with you, I'd love for you to open it to Judges uh, chapters 9 and 10, where we're going to be today. Um, And while you're doing that, we were going to have a conversation with Pastor Zane today. And at the beginning of the week, both he and his wife tested positive for COVID. So they've been out. They've had to isolate at home. So we are pushing that conversation with him, hopefully till next Sunday, so we can talk about just some vision for intergenerational ministries and family ministries here at Westway. And then also, I just want to I just want to just say something about uh, Pastor Appreciation Month again. Um, one of the ways that you show appreciation to us is by giving us time away when we need it. Um, Joe mentioned that he had been um, he hasn't seen a few of you in a few weeks, and he was gone on vacation for uh, for two weeks. And what he tells me is, for the most part, you left him alone, which makes me happy. Um, I told him when he was gone that he he wasn't allowed to answer any texts, he wasn't allowed to answer any emails, um, and I think that made Cheryl happy. But I hear that when he did send texts, he uh, did not include me in the texts. He sent them to the other pastors. Um, And I hear that when he sent emails, he did not use his work email. He used his personal email. Um, So I I can't confirm that, but um, I think he did pretty good. Uh, So he gets uh, an A for that. Um, And and today, in fact, as soon as I'm done uh, this morning, I am hopping in my car, driving down to Denver. Our daughter, many of you may know, our daughter had a miscarriage last week. And it was, it's been a really rough week for for our family. And I can tell you that when I, when, when she called and said, what we need is a person to come down here, it was really refreshing to be able to gather our pastors and our, and our staff together. And just for me to be able to say, um, so I'm going to be gone next week because this is what's going on. And I love that. I love that we, that we have a place where our pastors can, when things come up, we can just go. And, and, and you make that happen for us. And on behalf of myself and just all of our other pastors, I'm just really thankful that we have that space. So thank you for appreciating us. Um, last week in our elders meeting, one of our elders brought up a question and a comment as we're going through the book of Judges. And if he's thinking about it, chances are you're thinking about it as well especially when we were talking about Gideon last week. I really feel like I, um, I beat Gideon up pretty hard. Maybe you thought that I did. And one of our elders said, we need to remember the faithfulness of the judges. We need to remember their faith. We need to remember that they are acting on behalf of God. And, and he's absolutely true. He's absolutely correct in that. Um, the judges have not been perfectly faithful. Their execution has been lacking. And that's maybe what we need to start seeing in our own lives. We need to make this transition at some point. 
And this, this creates tension for us when we read these stories and we see the, the bad decisions and the bad choices they make and we compare it to what God is calling them to do. And we, we start to wonder, we start to, are they heroes? Are they not heroes? Like what's really going on in this story? And, and the thing is, we live in a day and an age where we don't, we don't like tension. Have you noticed that? We want, we want resolution. We want things to be fixed quickly. And that happens a lot in the church. I've talked to a couple different people about this over the last week. When we start in the church, when we start talking about King David as a, for instance, and we start talking about the, the bad choices and the bad decisions in his life, there's always someone who is in the room who is going to say, yeah, but David was a man after God's own heart. Like, we're so quick to throw that out there. And that's true. David was a man after God's own heart. And David murdered somebody because he was having a sexual relationship with the guy's wife. See, this creates tension for us. And rather than resolve it immediately, quickly, what we want to do is we want to, we want to be able to sit in that tension because I think when we, when we skip past the tension and we jump to David was a man after God's own heart, or we jump to the faithfulness, and it's true, those things are true, I think we do a disservice to the text. And more importantly, when people ask us questions, we do a disservice to them by just skipping to whatever faithfulness by whatever or whatever good things these people actually did. And I think there are times where we can, we can be perceived as Christians as just kind of sprinkling like Jesus fairy dust over all hard things in the Bible, right? Like the Bible says it, it must be true, so I'm gonna just find this happy joy in the story. And over the last 11 days, you may not know this, our church has had five different funeral events in the last 11 days. Our daughter had a miscarriage last week. And if you would have asked me how I was doing over the last 11 days, I was not going to say fine. <laughs> because, because that's just not, it's not true. And that doesn't mean I'm not trusting in God or, or leaning on who he is and leaning on the reality of him delivering me from my sin and, and, and the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of me as the comforter. It's just, it's just not true. I just, I just haven't been fine over the last 11 days. And it's okay. It's okay for us to not be okay. In fact, I was so not fine, we went to Community Christian School on Thursday. They had a pastor appreciation chapel. And Joe and Cody and myself were in the fourth and fifth grade class. And they handed out these sheets of paper asking us, how, asking us to fill out so they could pray for us. And like I talked about last week, uh, you, you guys have no idea how meaningful your prayers have been for our pastors over the last two weeks. And we got this sheet and I started, I, like I wanted to thank the students for giving this to us. And I wanted to encourage them because they didn't, I wanted to say this is, you don't know how much this means to us that you're going to start to pray for us. And I think I got about two words out and like I had a breakdown. Like to convey the importance of prayer. See, we live in this, in this tension 
where we see these things happening in Scripture and we're uncertain and we're unsure of what to do with it. And what I would, what I would encourage you to do is to not jump past the tension. Trust in the goodness of God. Recognize that He's at work. But we live in a broken and messed up world. We have to acknowledge that reality. And if you're asking those questions, good, you're about two weeks ahead of me. So we're going to talk about that. I'm not going to resolve it all for you today because we have a few more, we have a few more stories we need to reach, we need to read as this, as this tension kind of builds a fever pitch in us when we wonder what is going on in this book. Let's read Judges chapter 9 this morning. One day Gideon's son Abimelech went to Shechem to visit his uncles, his mother's brothers. He said to them and to the rest of his mother's family, Ask the leading citizens of Shechem whether they want to be ruled by all 70 of Gideon's sons or by one man. And remember that I'm your own flesh and blood. So Abimelech's uncles gave his message to all the citizens of Shechem on his behalf. And after listening to this proposal, the people of Shechem decided in favor of Abimelech because he was their relative. Remember, we talked about this last week. Shechem is Gideon's son with a concubine from Shechem. They gave him 70 silver coins from the temple of Baal Berith, which he used to hire some reckless troublemakers who agreed to follow him. He went to his father's home at Orpah, and there on one stone they killed all 70 of his half-brothers, the sons of Gideon. But the youngest brother, Jotham, escaped and hid. Then all the leading citizens of Shechem and Beth Milo called a meeting under the oak beside the pillar at Shechem and made Abimelech their king. When Jotham heard about this, he climbed to the top of Mount Gerizim and shouted, Listen to me, citizens of Shechem. Listen to me if you want God to listen to you. Once upon a time, the trees decided to choose a king. First, they said to the olive tree, be our king. But the olive tree refused, saying, should I quit producing the olive oil that blesses both God and people just to wave back and forth over the trees? Then he said to the fig tree, be our king. But the fig tree also refused, saying, should I quit producing my sweet fruit just to wave back and forth over the trees? Then they said to the grapevine, you be our king. But the grapevine also refused, saying, should I quit producing the wine that cheers both God and people just to wave back and forth over the trees? Then all the trees finally turned to the thorn bush and said, come, you be our king. And the thorn bush replied to the trees, if you truly want to make me your king, come and take shelter in my shade. If not, let fire come out from me and devour the cedars of Lebanon. Jotham continued, now, you, now make sure you have acted honorably and in good faith by making Abimelech your king and that you have done right by Gideon and all his descendants. Have you treated with him with the honor he deserves for all he accomplished? For he fought for you and risked his life when he rescued from the Midianites. But today you've revolted against my father and his descendants, killing his 70 sons on one stone. And you have chosen his slave woman's son, Abimelech, to be your king just because he is your relative. If you have acted honorably and in good faith towards Gideon and his descendants today, then may you find joy in Abimelech and may he find joy in you. 
But if you have not acted in good faith, then may fire come out from Abimelech and devour the leading citizens of Shechem and Beth Milo, and may fire come out from the citizens of Shechem and Beth Milo and devour Abimelech. Then Jotham escaped and lived in Beer because he was afraid of his brother Abimelech. After Abimelech had ruled over Israel for three years, God sent a spirit that stirred up trouble between Abimelech and the leading citizens of Shechem, and they revolted. God was punishing Abimelech for murdering Gideon's 70 sons and the citizens of Shechem for supporting him in his treachery in murdering his brothers. The citizens of Shechem set an ambush for, the, for Abimelech on the hilltops and robbed everyone who passed their way. But someone warned Abimelech of their plot. One day, Gal of Ebed moved to Shechem with his brothers and gained the confidence of the leading citizens of Shechem. During the annual harvest at Shechem held in the temple of the local god, the wine flowed freely, and everyone began cursing Abimelech. Who's Abimelech, Gal shouted. He's not a true son of Shechem, so why should we be his servants? He's merely the son of Gideon, and this Zebul is merely his deputy. Serve the true sons of Hamor, the founder of Shechem. Why should we serve Abimelech? If I were in charge here, I would get rid of Abimelech. I would say to him, get some soldiers and come out and fight. But when Zebul, the leader of the city, heard what God was saying, he was furious. He sent messengers to Abimelech and Aramah, telling him, Gal, son of Ebed, and his brothers have come to live in Shechem, and now they're inciting the city to rebel against you. Come by night with an army and hide out in the fields. In the morning, as soon as it's daylight, attack the city. When Gal and all those who are with him come out against you, you can do with them as you wish. So Abimelech and all his men went by night and split into four groups, stationing themselves around Shechem. Gal was standing at the city gates when Abimelech and his army came out of hiding. When Gal saw them, he said to Zebul, look, there are people coming down from the hilltops. Zebul replied, it's just the shadows on the hills that look like men. But again, Gal said, no, people are coming down from the hills. And another group is coming down the road past the diviner's oak. Then Zebul turned on him and asked, now where's that big mouth of yours? Wasn't it you who said, who's Abimelech and why should we be his servants? The men you mocked are right outside the city. Go and fight them. Don't you just love the way this story flows? Like, wouldn't this just be an awesome movie? Rated R, probably. So Gaul led the leading citizens of Shechem into battle against Abimelech, but Abimelech chased him and many of Shechem's men were wounded and fell along the road as they retreated to the city gate. Abimelech returned to Aramah, and Zebul drove Gal and his brothers out of Shechem. The next day, the people of Shechem went out into the fields to battle. When Abimelech heard about it, he divided his men into three groups and set an ambush in the fields. When Abimelech saw the people coming out of the city, he and his men jumped up from, from their hidden places and attacked them. Abimelech and his group stormed the city gate to keep the men of Shechem from getting back in, while Abimelech's other two groups cut them down in the fields. The battle went on all day before Abimelech finally captured the city. He killed the people, leveled the city, and scattered salt all over the ground. When the leading citizens who heard in the tower of Shechem, when the leading citizens who lived in the tower of Shechem heard what had happened, they ran and hid in the temple of Baal Bereth. Someone reported to Abimelech that the citizens had gathered in the temple, so he led his forces to Mount Zalman. He took an axe and chopped some branches from a tree, then put them on his shoulder. 
Quick, do as I have done, he told his men. So each of them cut down some branches following Abimelech's example. They piled the branches against the walls of the temple and set them on fire. So all the people who had lived in the tower of Shechem died, about a thousand men and women. Then Abimelech attacked the town of Thebes and captured it. But there was a strong tower inside the town and all the men and women, the entire population fled to it. They barricaded themselves in and climbed up to the roof of the tower. Abimelech followed them to attack the tower, but as he prepared to set fire to the entrance, a woman on the roof dropped a millstone that landed on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull. He quickly said to his young armor-bearer, Draw your sword and kill me. Don't let it be said that a woman killed Abimelech. Prideful to the end, right? It's awesome. The Bible's awesome. So the young man ran him through with his sword and he died. When Abimelech's men saw he was dead, they disbanded and returned to their homes. In this way, God punished Abimelech for all the evil he had done against his father by murdering his 70 brothers. God also punished the men of Shechem for all their evil, so the curse of Jotham, son of Gideon, was fulfilled. Here's what I love about the story of Abimelech. There's absolutely zero tension in this story. When we were talking earlier today, what I said was, um, Abimelech isn't a judge, he's a jerk. There is zero indication that what Abimelech is doing, he was called by God to do. There's no indication of that. So just when we're, just when we're starting to re- get into this book, and we're starting to wonder about the morality of the judges, We're starting to feel that tension rise within our soul, and this is why I didn't want to talk about it yet. I want to wait a few weeks. We're starting to feel all of this tension rise. It's kind of like, here's Abimelech to to ease some of the tension that's taking place. He's not a judge, but he gets named king by by the people of Shechem. Well, who are the people of Shechem? Well, they're not Jews by birth. They're Jews by conquest. And if you want to learn more, I would encourage you to flip back to Genesis chapter 34 later today and read about who the Shechemites are. It's a fascinating story. Abimelech's a really terrible person. And he's a really great example of why godly leadership matters. Not someone who just assumes the mantle of leader, but someone who is called to be a leader. Here at Westway, one of the things we do every year in October is we enter in this elder nomination process. And we're in that season right now. And if you, are, if you don't know what that looks like, if you go out into the lobby today, you'll see our little display out there. And one of the things on there talks about our elder nomination process. And you'll have, you have access to recommend and recommend someone for nomination for elder and all the information's on there. But don't, don't miss that godly leadership matters. The people who are, who are to be leaders in the church aren't just people there by blood. They're people who are actually being obedient and living in accordance with what God's will is for their lives, with what God's will is for the lives of the church. Abimelech's not a judge. He's not a rescuer. He's a wicked people. He's a wicked person from among the people. And I think this is where this 
this story is starting again to, to turn for us. Up until this point, well, here's this cycle that we've seen. The people rebel against God. God gets angry with them. He turns them over to other nations. They sort of repent, but not really. God sends them a rescuer. But again, up until this point, every one of the invaders has been from outside. Always from outside. But here's the twist. See, Abimelech is a half-brother. Abimelech is from within the Jewish people. So we have to start asking this question, like, what does that mean for us? This happened, but this is also, I think, a metaphor for us. What's going on inside the camp? What's going on inside of the people that's causing this cycle to persist, to happen again and again? And here's what God's people have been doing. They've constantly been blaming other people for their problems. Have you noticed that? We haven't seen, really, other than crying out for God to deliver them, we've seen zero acknowledgement of the real problem. And we're going to see that in chapter 10, which we're going to talk about in a minute. But we don't only now, we, we don't have an external persecutor. We have someone from within. We want to blame other people. And the, the judges, the story of the judges doesn't allow us to do that. The people wanted a king. They didn't want a, another judge. They wanted a king. They didn't cry out to God. Did you notice that? They just named a king, and they got everything they deserve. And the problem isn't just that Abimelech was a bad person. The problem is, is they are bad people. They are consistently, persistently rejecting God's will for them. Let's read a few verses from chapter 10. After Abimelech died, Tola, son of Pua, son of Dodo, was the next person to rescue Israel. He was from the tribe of Issachar, but lived in the, hill town, in the town of Shemir in the hill country of Ephraim. He judged Israel for 23 years. When he died, he was buried in Shemir. After Tola died, Jair from Gilead judged Israel for 22 years. I love the detail in this next little verse. It's amazing. His 30 sons rode around on 30 donkeys, and they owned 30 towns in the land of Gilead, which are still called the towns of Jair. When Jair died, he was buried in Canaan. Again, listen to what happens. Again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. They served the images of Baal and Ashtoreth, and the gods of Aram, Sidon, Moab, Ammon, and Philistia. They abandoned the Lord and no longer served him at all. So the Lord burned with anger against Israel, and he turned them over to the Philistines and the Ammonites, who began to oppress them that year. For 18 years, they oppressed all the Israelites east of the Jordan River in the land of the Amorites, that is, in Gilead. The Ammonites also crossed to the west side of the Jordan and attacked Judah, Benjamin, and Ephraim. The Israelites were in great distress. See, we need to start asking ourselves, what is it that people need to be rescued from? 
What? Like, why, why do they keep going into this cycle? What is it about them? What is it about them that's causing this problem? Notice that they're no longer just worshiping the Baals and the Ashtoreths. We are way beyond that. They've got all the gods of the nations in there. It started off simply a little bit of mixture of Baal worship and Ashtoreth worship into what they were doing to worship the Lord. But now they've rejected God completely and they're worshiping all of these other gods and God does what he's been doing. He hands them over to the Philistines. He hands them over to the Ammonites. Here's verse 10. Finally, That's a good word at this point in the story. Finally, they cried out to the Lord for help, saying, listen to what they do. We've sinned against you because we've abandoned you as our God and have served the images of Baal. Well, it only took 10 chapters and multiple years of disobedience for them to finally admit that the problem was them. Finally, they acknowledge their sin. And what does God do? You think, well, he sent a prophet or he sent a judge. Not so fast. The Lord replied, did I not rescue you from the Egyptians and the Amorites and the Ammonites, the Philistines, the Sidonians, the Amalekites and the Maonites? When they oppressed you, you cried out to me for help, and I rescued you. Yet you have abandoned me and served other gods, so I will not rescue you anymore. Go and cry out to the gods you have chosen. Let them rescue you in your hour of distress. See, God God gives the people over to their sin, and he does that because he's kind. And that doesn't sound like it's a very kind thing. But we have free will. We have the ability to choose. We have the ability to reject or accept God. And when we reject him, we are going to deal with the consequences of our sin. And God hands them over to their sin. He hands them over to the other gods they want to worship. Like, why wouldn't he do this? See, because he knows what's going to happen again, and and we're going to read this in a couple weeks when we come back to the story of Jephthah. Like, we live in this really weird time, and you've heard me say this a million times in the last four and a half years. But we have convinced ourselves that if we can just do everything we want, everything will be great. Do you see that in our culture? Just give me the freedom to make all of my own choices, Give me the ability to decide what's best and everything will be fine. And see, the question that we have to start asking is, how's that working out for us? How's that working out for us as a culture? See, the solution is not just doing whatever we want. But that's not what we think. We've convinced ourselves that we need more freedom We need more rights. We need more autonomy. 
We need to be freed from the constraints of what other people say and think and believe. We need to be freed from the constraints of a 2,000-year-old book that was written in a language I didn't know, I don't understand. How non-progressive of the Bible. But that's not what God is doing. See, God's people need to be judged. They need to deal with the consequences of their sin. And this, this cry for freedom, is, this is something we have to think about. When we want that autonomy from God, we've got to understand that that's rebellion against God. When I want to do what I want to do and don't want to do what God wants me to do, that's rebellion against God. And again, our culture and our society, we make rebellion sound so cool. Think st- like we think rebel and we think Star Wars, right? Like we think we're Luke Skywalker going to blow up the Death Star. And God is Darth Vader. Wrong. See, when we reject and we rebel against God, we're, we're rejecting and rebelling against God. We're going against the ultimate power in the universe. God's people for years have shaken up this, this hornet's nest of death, chaos, and destruction. And now all of a sudden they are starting to recognize it and they want to be freed of it. And God doesn't have anything to do with it, seemingly. Listen to verse 15 and 16. But the Israelites pleaded with the Lord, we have sinned, punish us as you see fit, only rescue us today from our enemies. Are you seeing what's happening here? The Israelites finally seem like they're getting it. Then the Israelites put aside their foreign gods and they served the Lord. And man, this last little section of this verse, and he was grieved by their misery. See, God is a faithful God. God is a kind, just, merciful God. And his, his people start to, start to react. They start to do the right things. They're starting to say the right words. And it grieves God. So even, even when God is allowing us to do whatever we want, when God is allowing us to rebel against him, when we face the consequences of those wins, when we face the consequences of those choices, what's God's heart for us? It's grief. It's love. It's mercy. He wants us to be in relationship with him. I want you to notice that there's no peace at the end of this cycle. Verse 17 and 18. At that time, the armies of Ammon had gathered for war and were camped in Gilead, and the people of Israel assembled and camped at Mizpah. The leaders in Gilead said to each other, whoever attacks the Ammonites first will become ruler over all the people of Gilead. Well, that's a recipe for a disaster. But notice that there's, there's no peace. There's no rest for the land. There's no Nothing. There's no asking God for a deliverer. They've acknowledged their sin at least, which is good, but they haven't asked God for a deliverer. So what they're going to do, which is what we often do, we take it upon ourselves to rescue ourselves. We think that we know best. 
this text is telling us that the problem that we face is us. That's what the issue is. The problem is not out there. The problem is in here. The problem is in our hearts. We have set ourselves against God. And what we're, what we're seeing in Judges is this slow revelation over time that we are sinful people and we need a rescuer who is not us. And the people of Israel are, are grasping at straws. They're, they're trying to figure out, they're trying to talk to whoever they can talk to. All of these false gods, Abimelech. In a couple weeks, it's going to be Jephthah. And yes, Gideon was faithful. And yes, Jephthah is listed in Hebrews chapter 11 as being a person of faith. But here's the thing. We need a rescuer who's not us to save us. And it's not going to come in another person like us. It's going to come in a person who is completely unlike us. And surprise, I know we're in church. His name is Jesus. See, all of these judges, in their fallenness, in their sinfulness, and yes, in their faithfulness, they are all pointing us to someone else. Last week, I read a great quote from Alistair Begg. He's, he, wrote a book on the, he wrote a book about Daniel. And his challenge in this book is, don't dare to be like Daniel. Dare to be like the God that Daniel worshipped. So these judges are not role models. They're pointing us to our need for Jesus. And I long for the day that we recognize that the problem is within us. That we stop blame shifting on everyone else, on what the schools are doing or what businesses are doing or what law enforcement is doing or what government, like I, I wish that we would pause and see that the problem is us. And Jesus actually says this. In Matthew chapter 15, Jesus is confronted by the, by the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law because his disciples weren't washing their hands before they ate. It's interesting what he says is, what they say is, they're not ceremonially washing their hands, which, like, that's another sermon, but I'm going to take a second because i got two and a half minutes left. Like when you're making an argument to do something because it's ceremonial, think about that for a minute. Your disciples aren't acting the right way. They're not following this law that's about ceremony. It doesn't actually do anything, but they're not following this ceremonial law. Jesus has this to say to them. From the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. These are what defile you. The problem's not out there. The problem's in here. Interestingly, the only fix is out there. And that's Jesus coming into here and fixing me from the inside out. 
That's my hope for you as we go through this series. Like, I love reading Judges. We're hitting Jephthah in a couple weeks, and Samson, man, if you, you have not seen anything yet. Like, I love this. And not just because they're great stories, but because they reveal my need to be saved from my sin. And they reveal your need to be saved by your sin. Isn't that a good God who loves us enough to tell us what's wrong with us? Doesn't just leave us there, but then provides the solution? That's incredible. That's a God worth worshiping. That's a God worth giving everything up for. Let's pray. God, I'm thankful for the book of Judges. I'm thankful for the way that you reveal to us what our problem is. Not to, not to guilt us, not to shame us, not to hold it against us, not to make us feel bad. But the point is to you. The point is to our need for a Savior. And his name is Jesus. So we thank you, God, for your son, Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.